Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. We're going to turn to the Gospel of Matthew in the fifth chapter. He's going to read one verse. comes after the Sermon on the Mount. The very beginning of the sermon. That's verse 8. You might wonder as you look at verse 8 how that fits in with the title, My God is Real, but I think you'll see before this morning is over. The early portions of this particular sermon, Jesus talked about the poor in spirit talked about those that mourn, about those who are meek, about those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, talked about the merciful. Then he talks about the pure in heart in verse 8 and following about peacemakers and those who are persecuted. But I want us to zero in on verse 8 this morning. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There are 330,000 churches of all denominations in the United States. 330,000. The disturbing Figure. We'll get this report before we go on. We'll go on another. And you see I'm smiling? Do you think we went over or under our goal? to continue those obligations. We hope that you will 
do and what the Lord would lead you to do in your finances toward the church. All right, back to the beginning of the message. Of these 330,000 churches in the United States of all denominations, there is a sad statement to be made. One half of those 330,000 churches did not report a single convert in the 80s, a 10-year period. Well, know what Baptists in our association that we call the Co-Living Association did? Let me just read the figures for the year 1988. That's the last that I have. The numbers of baptisms in 1988 by the churches in our area, our vicinity, the Amy Church, eight baptisms, Bethel, seven, Briar Creek, six, Cobbs Creek, five, Danville First Baptist, nine, Elizabeth, zero, Forks of Cove, one, Gordon, Zero, Hilltop, one, Madison, eight, Morrisdale, Morrisdale it is, four, Olive, not us, that's the Olive Church down the road, zero, Olive Branch, that's us, twelve, Pine Grove, seven, Porter Fork, one, Racine, seven, Sand Fork, Zero. We baptized more people in all the churches of our association in 1988. But you notice that I read some zeros. And I could go through our state convention reports and read the same. I'm not talking about only our denomination. I'm talking about all denominations across our land. Half of those 330,000 churches said they didn't win one soul to Jesus Christ in 10 years. We have our buildings. <coughs> we have financial capabilities. We have people coming together and meeting Sunday after Sunday. It's big business. Except we don't have any impact, it appears, on the lost of our land. Membership in the church has become a sign of effluence. You belong to church because it's socially acceptable, not because it means much. Well, the clerics made a statement in our Sunday school class downstairs this morning, excluding those who could not be here because of illness, and there are a number of those. There are a majority of our own members and the members of every other church who are not in church this morning because they just didn't want to be. Translating that into what the meaning of it is, 
It means we don't seem to think that God is very real. As people who claim to believe in him, it's the American way to enjoy Saturdays and have a good Saturday night and then Sunday afternoons to do other things and we've got to somehow bridge that gap between Saturday night and Sunday afternoon and so we squeeze in an hour or two that we say is our devotion to God. So we can say to God, there I've done my duty. We can say to the church, I've done what I was supposed to do. I showed up on Sunday morning. We can say to the community, this is what I want you to do. So the community is beginning to ask us, why do you do what you do? Why are you so foolish as to go to church on Sunday morning when you could be sleeping in from a late Saturday night? They see in our churches insincerity, hypocrisy, meaningless activity that results in emptiness when there doesn't appear to be any relationship to what we do here, to what we do tomorrow or next day or all week long. The real translation that we are giving to the world is, my God is not real. But we would have to stand up and dispute that, I hope. And say, although the church in general might give you the image that God is not real, we in this church, and I hope in many other churches, will come back with a united voice and say, My God is real. As Tim sang, For I can feel Him in my soul. But that's got to be translated from words to action somewhere along the line. Is God real? Moses believed he was real. Back in the book of Exodus, the 33rd chapter in that vicinity, chapter preceding, maybe following, God had taken Moses up into the mountain to give him the Ten Commandments, put them on tablets of stone. While he was up there, people thought he was never coming back. They were out here in the camp, all three million or so of them in the wilderness. They finally said to Aaron, you're going to have to make us a God we can follow. Moses is not going to come back to lead us. We need somebody to lead us. We need a God to relate to. Aaron, the brother of Moses, said, I right, pull off your earrings and the rings off your fingers and let's melt all that down. And they made the golden calf. Moses comes back down off the mountain with these tablets 
of the Ten Commandments, and he looks and bears a golden calf, and he becomes so angry that he throws down the tablets and breaks them into pieces. The tabernacle, the place of worship, was at a distance away from the camp. Moses walks through the camp toward the place of worship. And the eighth verse in that 33rd chapter says that every man stood in the door of his tent and watched Moses walk through the camp to the place of worship. What do you think has gone on in the mind? just given them a talking to about their unfaithfulness and he's walking toward the church the temple the tabernacle it was called he's going to go talk to God and they knew it and they were ashamed because they had said God is Now with their heads hung, their hats in their hands, so to speak, and very ashamedly, they watched their leader walk to the tabernacle. There in that tabernacle, the Lord spoke to Moses. In verse 11, it says, face to face. Face to face. Moses prayed to God and said that I have found grace in your sight. Show me the way that I'm to lead this people. God said, my presence will go with you. Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with me, I'm not going. Moses went back and pleaded with God again, and he said, God, show me your glory. I want to see you. I want to know that you're there. God said to Moses, Moses, you can't see my face and live. No man can see me and live. But beside me here is a rock. Moses, I want you to go out and stand on that rock, and there is a cleft in the rock, a crevice, an opening. I will come down and go by. You get in the cleft in the rock, and I'll put my hand over you, because you can't look upon me and live. And when I pass by, then you can look at my back parts and see my glory. That's why we sing the hymn, He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. Because we can't today stand to look upon Him. In our impurity, in our sinfulness, we would die if we would see the face of God. You think Moses didn't believe God was real? Put yourself in Moses' place down there in that 
cleft in the rock. And he senses God's presence and feels the hand covering him. God's hand covers him as God passes by. Moses knew that God was real. Let me give you another one. Jacob. Back in the book of Genesis. Chapter 28. Jacob had cheated his brother Esau out of the birthright. He had left home. He was going to find a wife from the family of the brother, his mother, his uncle's house. And out in the wilderness, down about verse 12, if you have your Bible open there, of the 28th chapter of Genesis, he prepared himself a place to go to sleep that night. And while he was asleep, he had a dream. He dreamed that he saw a ladder that reached from earth all the way to heaven. And he saw angels going up and down the ladder. That's not what I want to call your attention to. He looked all the way up to the top of the ladder and saw the Lord standing at the top of the ladder. There was a voice that said, I am the Lord God, Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac. When he awoke, verse 16 says, Jacob said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I know it not. Listen. You might not know it, but you're sitting in the presence of God this morning. Sometimes you go out of this morning worship service, and you don't feel like you have been in the presence of the Lord. It wasn't because the Lord was not there. It was because your heart was not capable of understanding that he was sitting beside you. Jacob said, this is none other than the house of God. Here he was, out in the middle of the desert. He slept. He'd been in the presence of God. You think Jacob thought that God was not real? Jacob awoke with an awareness that God was there. I don't know if you've ever done it or not, but I have. I've been awakened in the middle of the night. Probably went to bed with a burden on my heart, just like Jacob went to bed with a burden on his heart. And in the middle of the night, God woke me up. And I felt in his presence. My God is real. <laughs> I think we must look at the life of Jesus just for a quick moment to realize 
that he was aware of the reality of God from his very birth. At that time, at 12 years old, when he was in the temple, disputing and arguing and discussing with the priests in the temple, his mother and Joseph came looking for him. He said, don't you want me to be about my father's business? From that point until the last words he spoke upon the cross, when he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. God was real. Yesterday I had what I believe was a tremendous privilege. Had I known it was going to be as great as it was, I would have merely insisted that some of you go. None of you were able to go. I didn't go to Parkersburg, where there was a statewide meeting of our Baptist fellowship, our family, to talk about and plan for winning the lost in the 90s. It's been one of the most uh, enjoyable but inspiring services that I was ever in. When we came together from all over West Virginia, and there were some people there from Ohio and Pennsylvania and Washington, D.C., and a few others, there were even some other denominations who decided to come. And some Church of God people from Charleston were there. Uh, there were some Salvation Army people there. But laymen and pastors all gathered together. Thursday and Friday was just pastors. I wasn't able to go to that. And I realized how great it was. I'd have taken some time off and I would have gone. But yesterday was a tremendous highlight as we heard and learned how to reach out into the community to win the lost. But the closing of the service last night about 4 o'clock, in that huge auditorium that seats about 1,400 people, large churches have a reputation of being cold. I've never been in a warmer church than that one in my life. Here we were strangers to each other from all over the place. I knew less than 20 people, I suppose, in that whole group. The pastor of that church, Conrad Lowe, led us in a service of dedication. And he asked the churches to gather together in little clusters, to get with the pastor and meet together in a little place and hold hands. And for those who didn't have churches or for churches who didn't have pastors to get together in groups, I joined my little church of about six people, eight maybe. Didn't know one of them. Never had seen one of those people before. And we stood in a little corner of that huge auditorium and joined hands in prayer. And it was done all over that huge auditorium. When I opened my eyes, the same thing was happening that happened to me to numbers of people with tears streaming down our faces. As we worshipped with people we didn't even know. 
because we had a kindred spirit. We had something in common. We had a love for a God above and a Savior that died for us. And there was no telling anybody in that group of eight or nine hundred people that God was not real. That 
must be a part of the church if we're going to win the lost for Christ. It's the word love. We're not going to do it with our minds. We're going to do it with our hearts. We're going to do it because we love so greatly that it makes no difference what might come. We're going to serve in singleness of purpose because we love. We love each other. We've begun to see, I think, this growth. We don't always have to agree to be lovable. But we must, if we are Christian, love each other with a full heart. I, those of you who come on Wednesday nights, I think, would have a greater sense of this love, maybe, than the rest of you. There is a sense of oneness and love that permeates us sometimes, even though we don't always agree with each other. That really makes little difference. It's the fact that there is a love in our heart that makes us what we are. A love that is unmixed with other emotions. A love that is designed to serve God. A love that has no self-interest, but has the interest of others, and the interest of the church, and the interest in serving our Lord above and beyond everything else. I want to ask you, how is your heart? How is your heart? Thirdly, those that have a pure heart, he said, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. See. Now I'm told that we are, we will see only what we're trained to see. When I sit down at the keyboard and piano, the organ, all I see is white ivory. Sixty-six of those things are cried, isn't that right, Well. See, I didn't even know that. That's all I know about it. But when Patty and Ken sit down there, they see music. I don't. I have the slightest idea how to get it out of there. When I go out at night and I look up at the stars, I see just little specks up there of light. But if I were an astronomer, or with an astronomer, that person would see huge heavenly bodies tell me that that one there was a thousand times the size of the earth, and that one is something else, and that one is so many light years away. He knows it because he has studied it, he can see it. He knows what's there because he knows his subject. If I would go out into a meadow, I might see trees and grass and weeds, but a botanist would tell me that that is a certain kind of an oak or a poplar. Or oh, that's a clover, or oh, that's a certain kind of a weed. He knows them because that's his subject. We will seek God when we know our subject, when we are related to him closely enough to know that he's there. The only reason that we portray this attitude that my God is not real is because we haven't been a part of him we've tried to be separate from and over to the side, a spectator, if you will. What is your goal in life? What sights have you set for yourself? The answer to that will tell you how you see God. Is your goal in life simply self-serving? To gain something for yourself? 
What was your goal in life? To see the opportunities and to seize upon them. Serve God. The men were building a church building. They were laying the brick. Somebody came along and said to one of the laborers there on the building, what are you doing? And he said, I'm laying brick. He asked another one, and the other one said, I'm building a building. And he asked the third one, what are you doing? And he said, I'm serving God. If all you're doing is laying bricks, you'll portray that God is not real. But if you're serving God, he'll be real to you. Let me close with this thought. Dr. John Redhead wrote a book called Getting to Know God. In that book, he says there are two laws of friendship. And he says that religion is friendship with God. Take that or leave it. But I like these two laws of friendship. He said one law is association. You are with the people that you want to associate with. And you will shun those that you don't want to be around. If you enjoy somebody's company, you'll be with them. If you enjoy the company of God, you'll be with them. If you don't enjoy being around him, you'll not be real. Secondly is expression. If you're friends with somebody, you want to talk to them. If you have a good friend, you'll get on the phone and call them, won't you? Some of you will spend long hours on the telephone talking to your friend. And that's good. Listen. If you're friends with God, spend some time talking with him. There is one success or one item that must be in a success story for any church. The absence of that one item will prohibit a church from being successful. And that is talking to God. Prayer. A fellowship and a friendship that is deep enough that the church will talk to their God. will portray to the world our God is real. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.